Heavenly Father, as we turn our attention now to your word and what you have to say to us today as your people, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide all that transpires here, the words that are said and the words that are heard, and that your name would be lifted up, Jesus, and you would receive glory and honor as your people are built into the people that you have made us to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole text and then we're going to go back through it here. So please hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles... Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for all ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that was realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I now bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thus ends the reading of the word. Well, we started our journey of looking at the Ephesian church a couple months ago with the hope of learning from them, their mistakes, their experiences, with the hope that we might avoid what led to Jesus addressing them addressing them in his letter to them in the revelation given to John. 
Basically, the Ephesian church, about four days, decades after it started, was seemingly doing everything right, thinking everything right, and even standing for everything right. Yet they were in dire straits because of one thing. They had forgotten their first love. They had forgotten Jesus. He was ultimately what mattered, and, and remembering him and who he was and what he did is more than just cultural or religious or academic. Apologetics, works, etc., they're all good, but they are nothing without remembering Jesus. On, on our journey uh, with the Ephesian church so far, we've looked at everything from the church's founding to seeing and hearing the stories of the faithfulness of Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla. We've seen riots and miracles and heart-wrenching speeches by Paul on the shores about the threats of false prophets, false teachers within and without, and lots of reminders of, of key things for them to remember, things that we called anchors. We've talked about the fundamental truths that Paul reminded them of from, from the fact that we were chosen. God chose us from before the foundation of the world to the, to the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. And also the, that the Gentiles, us, have been brought into complete fellowship with the Jews and their promises and the covenants and with God. And we've looked at the wonders and the purposes of being the body of Christ, his church. We did and, and could have covered a lot more. Our journey, though, now has us to where we are about halfway through the letter Paul wrote to his beloved Ephesian church from prison in Rome. A wonderful thing about the scriptures is that you can never really get to the end of them. The more you dig into them, the more there is to find, and the, and the deeper it goes. Today's text is, is no exception. In our text, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, we're, we're at a garden. Um, I've chosen to merely rake the majority of the soil by doing a quick overview of it. And then we are going to dig into and rototill one part, uh, verses 17 to 19. They are the key part of this text. In fact, I believe among all that we have covered so far, what we will look at today is the one thing. Had the church in Ephesus remembered, they would not have ended up where they did. They would not have forgotten their first love. It is therefore essential that we hear this and that we remember it as well. But before we get into that, um, we need to do a quick overview of the rest of the chapter. Many things in this chapter are tied to things and almost a, re a repetition of things that Paul has already said or referenced in this letter in the prior chapters. But when Paul gets to verse 17 and says, so that... There is more than a sense that all of what he has been saying and praying about was headed to that point. But let's do an overview of verses 1 to 13 first. 
What happens in these verses is that Paul starts off by reminding them that he is a prisoner for Christ on behalf of the Gentiles, which he literally was. He was in prison for having preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And then while in Jerusalem, after carrying an offering raised by the Gentile church for the church in Jerusalem, some non-believing Jews uh, accused him of having taken a Gentile into an area of the temple where Gentiles were not allowed to go, which was not true, but it had led to his arrest and is eventually being sent to Rome as a prisoner. So Paul starts off by reminding them that he's in prison because of the Gentiles. He then immediately goes into an aside or a tangent in which he talks about his calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he restates some of the things he has already said to these Gentile believers, things he refers to as mysteries of God, which we're going to look at in a, in a minute. And then he kind of wraps it up by saying that he was called to this preaching to the Gentiles and that his current circumstances are within God's plan. And, and so they should not be disheartened about his circumstances. Basically, he, he is saying, I'm a prisoner fulfilling the ministry God's asked me to do which is to proclaim the gospel to you Gentile believers. And it's resulted in God's glory. So don't lose heart. It's okay, I'm in prison. Then beginning with verse 14, he gets back to what he started with at verse one by repeating the phrase for this reason. The very same words he started the chapter with. Paul, Paul did address one concept in this tangent that I want to focus on a little more before moving on. And, and it's this concept of mystery. We touched on this a few weeks ago. Paul uses the word mystery four times in the first verses of this chapter. He, he says in verse three, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And in verse 4, he says, the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations and has now been revealed. In verse 6, he says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. And then in verse 9, he refers to the administration of the mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God. Back in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul had said, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul also makes multiple references to the mystery in his other letters. For example, Colossians 1, uh, 24, 2-4, which I'm going to reference in a minute. Elsewhere he uses mystery clearly referring to the entirety of the gospel. Elsewhere, the mystery is used in nuances of what we've already read, just in some of those things I just read. Whatever the case, the mystery Paul is talking about is not an Agatha Christie mystery or a whodunit thing. Mystery for him was something that meant it was not knowable unless it was revealed. And the mystery he was talking about could only have been revealed by God. And it was revealed in and through Jesus. So what is the mystery? 
It's all the stuff I just read. <laughs> and, and it has been made known in Christ. Now, now that's just, this is where I want to go back to Colossians uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 24, which, which these are perhaps the clearest statements of what Paul means by mystery. The first begins in the middle of verse 125, as Paul is talking about the mystery God had called him to, or the ministry God had called him to, and then, then Paul says he was to, quote, make the word of God fully known, which he calls the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but has now been revealed to the saints. Which he goes on to say, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is, first, called the word of God revealed, Think John 1, in the beginning was the Word, which we know is the Son of God. Then it is Christ in you. And then in verse 2 of the next chapter, he says his desire is that they have full awareness and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The mystery is Christ that has been revealed. Paul says that this mystery is the word of God fully known and Christ in you. And then as clearly and loudly as possible, he says, God's mystery is Christ. Or the more literal New American Standard Version says, God's mystery is Christ himself. Paul was writing this letter only about 25 years after Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And Paul was ever aware that he was given the privilege and the calling to take that news, that mystery of Christ, to the Gentiles. So, we, so he's reminding them in the first section that he is in prison because of the proclamation of this mystery. So, so there it is. That's my very fast and quick review of verses 3, 1 to 13. And then he gets to verse 14 to 16, in which Paul gets back on track with his original thoughts, again by saying, for this reason. He says, for this reason... I bow the knee that all of that mystery and for, for this reason, now he's going to give the reason. For this reason, I bow the knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, God may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's a lot. What he is saying or praying is that out of God's glory and majesty, basically out, out of God's supreme, all-powerful goodness, God would strengthen them in their inner being, their, their core, their spirit, their soul, the new creation that, 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 the, that God has caused to happen with the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, basically all that they are, that he would strengthen them by his spirit, which means by himself. 
he is saying that they will need God's strength in their very core to truly understand what he is about to say. It means what he's about to say is big. And, and this is what follows the so that that starts the next verse. What follows the so that at the beginning of verse 17 is why he is praying for God to strengthen them. It's after the so that that Paul states the goal of his prayer. It is after the so that that the main desire and longing Paul has for these beloved people, our brothers and sisters in Ephesus, is clearly expressed. And that's what we're going to look at for the rest of the message. So here, verses 17 to 19 again. I'm going to go back to Ephesians here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. The reason he is praying that God would strengthen us in our inner being is so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That is the beginning of his request. Paul is not talking about head knowledge. Paul is talking about the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen, as referenced in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Paul is praying that Christ's dwelling in their hearts would be real, experienced, assured, with absolute conviction, even though it might be unseen. It is real and can be experienced as real. Christ is in us, dwelling in us. But there is more to it what he's praying. Not only is, is it that Christ would dwell in us, which is a reality, but there is a reason that Paul prays we would experience that reality more. Paul continues. That you would be rooted and grounded in love. What love? His love. God's love the love of Christ. He prays that in their inner being, they would know Christ dwelling in their hearts with certainty, which would allow them to be rooted and grounded in God's love. As they understand Christ, they understand God's love in their heart. And Paul goes on to the main point. That they would have strength. There's that word again to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and here it is, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He is praying ultimately that we will know the love of Christ, a love that simply surpasses all knowledge. 
Brothers and sisters, this is what the Ephesians forgot. They forgot the love of Christ, the love of God, the love demonstrated in Christ and his sacrifice and resurrection for their benefit. They forgot how he chose them and drew them and saved them and loves them. They forgot their first love. They forgot him. They forgot the full measure of his love. They forgot, at least in their inner being, that he died for us to demonstrate his love for us so that we could be saved. They forgot in their inner being how absolutely amazing and astounding and beyond all comprehension or any sense of expectation or hope, how great God's love for us is in Christ Jesus. I've talked about anchors. This is the big anchor. You hold on to this one and you will never go anywhere. And you will never receive a dire warning like our brothers and sisters in Ephesus did. We need to hold on to the love of Christ. Yes, our love for him also matters. But even that is grounded and only possible because of his love for us. Absolutely, he is just. Absolutely, he is powerful. Absolutely, he will hold us accountable for our sins. Absolutely, he does, the thing, he does things and allows things that we don't understand. Absolutely, he knows everything. Absolutely, he is long-suffering and patient and faithful and kind. Absolutely, he is pure and holy, and the list can go on. But he loves us. He loves us, loves you. God loves us. He loves us so much that, we, that he came to die for us, that we could have life and be with him forever, knowing his love and blessings and kindness. He loves us so much that he humbled himself and suffered and endured the shame and paid the price we owed that we could never, ever have possibly paid. He loves us. He is God Almighty. He is maker of the heavens and earth. He was before all. He is. He is the great I am. And he loves us. And this is such a big deal that Paul is praying for strength in our innermost being that we would have strength to even come close to comprehend this. It is not simple affection. It is not an acceptance. It is God's love. Not love like I shared with my dear sweet Ruthie, who is now in glory. So much more. Not love like you have for your children. So much more. Not love like you have for anything or anyone you can even comprehend. According to Paul... We even need God's strength and power through God's Holy Spirit to even comprehend this love. That doesn't mean we can't. It means it is big. Too much. Too great for us, for us to ever completely wrap our minds around. 
It is a mystery made known. That as Paul reminds us, it surpasses knowledge. My brothers and sisters, God loves us. And he wants us to know it. I shared with the men's breakfast group recently about two God moments in my life. Once when I was suicidal as a teenager, looking for a reason, for a reason to live, and, and God spoke to me. Whether it was audible or in my heart, I don't know, and candidly, I really don't even care. But he said, Kevin, I love you. Kevin, I died for you. Kevin, I love you. And I, I can still hear it. I understood in my inner being that God loved me. It kept me alive. I knew he loved me, and I was changed. Another time when I stood on the shore of the Pacific Ocean and was overwhelmed by the size of the ocean and the size of the earth and the size of the solar system and the galaxy and the universe and the size of all that compared to me, a speck among a billion gazillion specks in that vast universe. And God told me he loved me. Audible? I don't know. And again, I don't care. It was in my inner being. And it changed me. I needed to hear that. We need to hear that. We need to hear that God loves us. And we need to understand that because he does. And he tells us when we listen to the ocean and see the waves hitting one after another after another, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and it never stops. And he tells us all over and over in the word, in his word, this word, he tells us through each other. He is, and I, and I don't want to imply that God is being rude, but he is yelling it at us through nature if we look and we listen. But nowhere is his proclamation of his love for us more than in Jesus and what he did on that cross. And we need to look at that cross. We need to put ourselves at the feet of it as the blood drips off him and hear him say to us, I did this because I love you. It really is more than we will ever be able to understand. He loves us. And we'll even need his help to, to comprehend it. But when it is understood, that is what we must hold on to and never let go. That is the anchor. Yes, we, we cannot forget about sin and consequences. We cannot forget the whole salvation narrative or the mysteries that were just discussed or, or that Paul reminds them of other things over and over. But we, we can never, never, never let go of the fact that God loves us, demonstrated and made known to us in Christ Jesus. Then Paul adds... At the end of his prayer for them, his prayer that they would be filled with the fullness of God. I'm just going to, you guys can hear that rain. If, if, if you just stop 
and just think. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Just listen to it. Then he adds at the end of this um, that when we do comprehend this, this love of Christ, or think about the love of Christ in our inner being, we will be filled with the fullness of God. When I stood on that shoreline overlooking the Pacific Ocean, and I understood that God loves me, that he loves me, the maker of all of that, all that which was beyond my understanding, loved me and cared for me and died for me, I was in glory. I don't know what heaven will actually be like, but if it is like that moment when I knew I was loved by the God of the universe, I can hardly wait to get to heaven and know it even more, even more fully for the rest of eternity. In that moment, I was filled with the fullness of God. And and that was my future I tasted. And that's your future. It also needs to be our present. And it will become our present by God granting us the strength with the power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we may be rooted and grounded in his love as he strengthens us to understand the full measure of his love for us, for you and for me. Paul ends the chapter with what the commentators call a doxology, an expression of praise to God. And the truth is that this expression of praise naturally flows out of what we just covered. One one cannot bask in the love of God without praising him. It's not possible. And so God says, and now here verses 21 and 20 and 21, having understood the love of God. Now now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, his body, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That should be our response to thinking about Christ's love for us. And if we understand it, it will be. Before I I close, I want to point something out. Do do you remember how I started out saying that a wonderful thing about the scriptures was that you can never really get to the end of them. And the more you dig into them, the the more more you can find. God's love is much the same. The more you look into it, the deeper and more amazing it becomes. At times, there's little surprises. At times, there's an aha. At times, you're simply blown away and and start to cry and can't figure out why or how to stop. And while I would like to say that you might have an experience like I did standing on the shore, I don't know if you will, or if you've had one already, which I am sure many of you had, if you're going to have another one. But God's word is there for us all the time. And it is his word of his love to us. We need to dig into it. Go looking for his love. 
See it in his relationship with Israel. See it with his extension of the gospel and his promises of of hope and covenants to the Gentiles. See it in his extension to us. See it in Jesus, his life and death and resurrection and ascension. Because, and this is just really, really important, holding on to this love, the love of Christ will be our anchor. People who fall away from Christ have let go of the love of Christ. That anchor will never give away as long as we do not let go of the rope, which is tied to Jesus' love for us. My prayer is that you will, that God will, will strengthen you and give you power through his spirit in your inner being and strengthen you to comprehend the love of Christ and that you will focus on his love and see, in, see it in Jesus and, and receive it, that you will know the love of Christ in your hearts and soul and mind and spirit and then give thanks. Please pray with me. Father, we praise you and honor you and thank you. And we bow before you and ask that according to your riches and power and glory, that you grant us to be strengthened by the power of your Holy Spirit in our inner being, that Christ may dwell in our hearts and through faith and the assurance of who you are and what you have done, that we would be rooted and grounded in your love. Father, we ask for strength to be able to comprehend your love and how amazing it is, and that we might even know it, though it is beyond our full understanding. Help us to know the love of Christ, that we would be filled with your fullness and know your love in our inner being. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.